You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Have you thought about offering some or all of your services on a sliding scale pricing model? If serving more than just those with ample financial resources is important to you, sliding scale pricing is worth considering. If you would like to try sliding scale pricing, but you don't know where to start, or maybe you've tried it in the past but didn't get good results, this episode may be helpful. A lot of people get confused between a donation-based model and sliding scale, so let's clarify that right up front. In my mind, donation is more open-ended, whereas sliding scale has specific guidelines attached, and you'll hear more about that in this episode. Now, these terms are not fixed, so I know that there are people who call their classes donation, but have guidelines around the donations, and there are ways of doing sliding scale that are more open-ended. While I don't think that there's a single best way to do this, my experience is that with all the information overwhelm people are exposed to these days, simplicity and clarity is really helpful. So that's why I'm a fan of sliding scale over donation. In today's conversation, my guest Nick Danu and I cover several different ways to make our classes, workshops, and trainings financially accessible. A big focus in our conversation is how to find a balance between making the financial investment accessible to students while also making it sustainable for the teacher. Nick is a certified yoga therapist, yin yoga teacher, trainer, and yoga business mentor who lives in the enchanted city of Victoria on the magical Vancouver Island, where she teaches therapeutic yoga focused on back pain and anxiety to misfits, those who don't think that they're yoga people. These are Gen Xers and sometimes Y who don't feel at home in mainstream yoga circles, the rebels, underdogs, punks, introverts, geeks, and bookworms. I love this niche because it's really specific and it's very different from how so many other yoga teachers describe themselves. I think this helps Nick to stand out and I think her pricing models help with that also. I absolutely love the conversation that I had with Nick because while it started out as being primarily about pricing, it ended up going a lot deeper than that. You'll have to listen to the episode to hear what I mean, and I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and dive in and I'll see you on the other side. I love that you want to talk about this because I am about to open the doors to my membership, the impact club, and I'm going to be offering sliding scale pricing. And so I can share like what I've come up with to make it reasonable and realistic and what I've been, what I thought about, and then you can share what you do. And I think between the two of us, that should be really helpful for, for yoga teachers. So we decided to have this conversation because a lot of yoga teachers have ethical concerns about accessibility. And we know that the word accessible, especially in a financial sense, it means different things to different people. And so for a price point that is accessible for one person, it's like almost too low for one person, so low that they don't even appreciate it because it just Mm -hmm. is a drop in the bucket for them. For a different person would be like a really big stretch. So For me, the idea of sliding scale is really to offer that question back to the person, the the client and say, hey, what what do you 
view as a fair price for this based on this range, this range that I think is sustainable for me. And based on your own feelings of comfort and abundance, are you willing to subsidize somebody else's experience? That's kind of the way that I think about it. So I like to have three price points because I don't like to make people think too much. I think mm -hmm. if you just say something between X and X, mm -mm. It doesn't you're work. giving them so <laughs> many possibilities that it makes them shut down. And what I'm offering for the impact club is access. That's the lowest price point sustain. That's the middle price point. That's the price point that I would be asking for without using sliding scale. I would be asking the sustain price. And then there is pay it forward, which is, Hey, whether you've had this privilege, this financial privilege your entire life, or you remember what it was like not to have the, those kinds of resources, are you in a space where you want to help somebody else, where you want to kind of reach out and offer a helping hand to somebody else? So that's what I'm doing. Tell me what you're doing. So I've always wanted to do something on this model because I went to a marketing workshop on a pay what you can basis way back when I was a new teacher and finally realized, oh, I need to learn marketing. Like I can't just teach another class and teach another class and teach another class. It's like, oh, I need to learn this stuff. And so there was this, this person that came highly recommended and, um, you know, I saw his event on Facebook and he offered it as pay what you can. So he did have a small um, deposit to hold your spot because obviously he doesn't want people just flaking out. It's a limited, limited, limited number of seats. And then at the end, he asked you to write out, now this is a while ago, two checks, one for what you think this information will be worth in six months and one for what you think it'll be worth to you in a year. And he left the amounts open based on your own budget. And I just remember being so grateful that like I could actually space out because the information was amazing. And I knew that it was actually far beyond what I could afford right then. So had he said, you know, give me what you think right now, I would have been like, well, what I think it's worth or what I can do, you know? Um, so I really valued that. And it was the first time I had ever heard of a pay what you can model. Um, so then when I started doing my Zoom classes back a year ago, um, because it's a new service, I was like, I don't even know what to charge for these. And I'm super low tech. I didn't have great sound. I didn't have lighting. I was like, my iPad was being held up by a can of tomatoes. So it was just like, while I'm working these learning curves out, I'm not going to be charging like a super high amount for these classes. Plus people really need them. And I don't know everyone's financial position, like who's been laid off, who's able to work from home. So I offered it as an open sliding scale, which I don't recommend. Um, just sort of like put in your amount. And what I noticed, and the reason I did that was, was market research, because I was like, well, let's just see. I had only done one other thing once before on a sliding scale where I recorded an audio and didn't know, again, what to charge for it. So I just sent it out to my email list with a PayPal button where they could choose their amount. And I was surprised at how much some of my students gave me for that 15 minute recording that I did on my iPhone. And so that's why when Zoom classes started up, I thought, okay, my tendency might be to sell these short. So let's just see what people will do. And, um, and I kind of had like a suggested range, but it was very open. It was like zero to $20 kind of thing. Um, 
And what I found from that first session was that most people other than one person all fell within a certain window. So then for the next session, next semester, I was like, okay, so here's my window. Um, and right now I have uh, probably too many options. As you said, the overwhelmed mind says no. So I think what I'm going to do for these, uh, my spring semesters, session is just being registered now. So it's too late for that one. But for summer, I think I'm going to narrow it a bit. Um, and then maybe give one coupon code for those people that sign up for more than once a week. That's not like a public code, but just for those folks. Right now I have it set up as sliding scale between 10 and 20. So I have like a 10, 12, 15, 18, 20. I don't think anyone's ever used 18. So I think I'm just going to remove that. And then I think come September, I'm just going to start it at between 12 and 20 and remove the 10 and just have that as a, oh, you come four times a week, you can use this code, you know? And it is, so these are, I should say also, these are not dropping classes. These are 12 week semesters that people are, are committing to. So I have that. And then I did have one very long-term student who is on disability, who was one of the people that paid less than 10. And so I used to do this in person when I ran my own classes. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to open up scholarship spots. So each class has one spot um, for somebody who just even the bottom amount is like not going to happen for them. Um, and all they have to do is email me and I give them the code to, you know, to sign up. Um, so you know, nobody knows who's the karma person, who's not, how many there are. But I, I think one person per class is pretty reasonable. So that's what I do with my public classes. And then with my teacher training, I'm not offering that on a sliding scale, but what I am offering is a scholarship spot and a work trade spot. So that um, somebody who just can't at all can come in, but then also somebody who's like, well, I have a little more time than money right now. And I have some admin skills, you know, I am open to, uh, <laughs> to someone coming in and helping me with, you know, admin stuff. And that seems to be working really well. It doesn't, they don't always get used. The scholarship spots, but I'm glad that they're there for those who might need them. I have some follow-up questions. I want to actually rewind back to that marketing workshop because something that you said really stood out to me, the fact that he, so first of all, he was taking checks. Is that correct? Yeah, this was like mm, 2004-ish, five, 2005. Yeah. Okay. So it's freaking brilliant that he said one for six months from now and one for a year from now because studies have shown that we're much more generous or we imagine our future selves to be much more generous than our present selves. So if he were to ask a group of people, if any of us were to ask a group of people, hey, what do you wanna pay for this now? They are thinking of all the bills that are due now and all the unexpected things that have come up recently. But when they picture themselves in six months or a year, all that stuff is gone. And they're only mm -hmm. thinking of like the base amounts that they can count on. <laughs> and so it's been, you know, this has just been one of these really fascinating things to learn about is how much more generous we are. So I've heard of charities doing the same thing where they say, hey, give us a check for a year from now or pledge for a year from now. And they uh -huh. get so much more in pledges than they get now. So that's it's super interesting. And it makes me wonder if some of these payment platforms are eventually going to figure out some way that people can 
post-date their online payments because nobody uses checks anymore. So this brilliant idea that he had, <laughs> we yeah. can't really use it now, but that was just so interesting. And I thought it was worth kind of um, digging and into also, a little bit. You know, when I sat with it in the workshop and thought, <clears throat> okay, this, I got so much gold from this workshop that I can implement between now and six months from now. And then again, in a year that like, my business is going to be in a totally different spot a year from now. And so that allowed me to also to dream a little bit bigger with like, okay, well, you know, and plus, you know, it's coming. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, it, I'm, and I actually don't like checks for this reason. I don't like post-dated. I don't like that idea of it just kind of lingering there and me having to remember the whole time. But because of that, you know, I kept like kind of putting a little aside, a little aside because it was like, when that check comes through, I want to make sure that like, it's no problem for it to go through. Um, and it, but it was also because he gave so much value, you know, yeah. that it really like, you know, it had, had that amount that I gave him over, you know, the day of the six months and the one year, had that been the ticket price, I wouldn't have been able to go. Right. It just was like, not in the cards. Um, plus I didn't know him. Right. So it's like, even if I had the money, it would have been like, well, I don't, but I don't know you yet. Like, I don't know what I'm going to get from this workshop yet, you know? Exactly. No, I think it's a really brilliant model. It also reminds me of the Vipassana model. Are you familiar mm -hmm. with that? The Donna model in Buddhism, yeah. like donation model? Yeah. Well, so what they do at the Vipassana retreat centers, and I don't know if they have them in Canada or if it's the same, I think oh, yeah. they're all over the world, but you cannot offer your Donna or your donation until the retreat is over. So they do not mm. collect money ahead of time. It is only after you've had the experience and that they believe that you can value it. So that's kind of interesting as well. And I also think something strange that popped up recently was I had a student um, come to my class and uh, I don't do a lot of dropping classes. I am doing some right now with another another organization, which may not even be happening by the time this gets listened to by anybody, because um, it, it hasn't been working out this, this drop-in class model with them as the way I thought it would. Uh, so I may just take that back and, you know, run my show completely again. But I had a regular student who came on Monday and she happened to be the only person, which is unusual. And she said, well, I feel like really bad that you taught this, essentially this private class to me for the amount that I paid. She's like, can I just e-transfer you some money? And so she just sent me like a tip, which I thought was brilliant. I think that sometimes the reason people are afraid of pay what you can models is that they assume that everyone's going to take the cheapest price. And that has just not been my experience. It has not been my experience. In fact, I would say that it's rare that people take the cheapest price. Um, and if they do, it's usually because they're signing up for two or three classes a week. Um, most of them take kind of the middle. And then there are those people, like you said, that just they're, they're doing great in life. And they, you know, um, not only do they want to help, help, help out uh, other students, but they want you to survive and thrive. Like if, if you are their teacher and they've been practicing with you for a while and they genuinely adore and respect you, they, they want you eating well and not homeless. So if they have it, of course, they're going to give it. 
Um, so I just think that that's a myth that people always come up with that, you know, that everyone's going to take the cheapest price. Now, that being said, what I, the way I run my business is very community focused. So I'm not just doing sort of off drop in classes where it's like it's a random stranger who I don't know, who doesn't value me or my class. These are these are people that I've built relationships and connections with. And so, yeah, I just I just think that I'm I'm, I'm usually surprised, actually, at how generous people can be. I think it's also helpful when you state explicitly how much is sustainable for you when you say this is the sustainable price. If you can't pay that, that is fine. I want you to come anyway, pay this. And if you can pay more, then help us get the average into this to the sustainable price. I think that's really helpful. I also wanna talk a little bit about scholarships more because one of the things that I found the last time I launched the Impact Club, I had a scholarship program. I gave 20 scholarships and it was a lot of logistics And I also felt really bad that even though I gave 20, there were at least 20 more people that I didn't give one to. And so to me, that's why I wanted to switch to the sliding scale so that I could give at least a partial scholarship to anybody who asked without any logistical challenges. So the way that I'm doing it is I'm actually just creating and publishing two coupon codes. So Mm -hmm. the, the highest rate is the rate with no coupon codes. But then it's gonna be very clear and obvious like right there that if you wanna choose one of these other rates, you use one of these other codes. And so anybody can do it. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no essay to write. There's no emails, there's no videos. It's really simple. And anybody who wants a scholarship can get one. And I want to also offer some free spots, but it's got to be really limited just because of the the back end complexity that offering a scholarship creates. It's not as easy as you would think. I agree with you on the scholarship thing. And that's why I actually only have one. Mind you, my teacher trainings, I cap them at 25 people. So it's a small group. So obviously I'm not giving away more than one scholarship. Um, so one scholarship, one work trade is kind of where I feel like that's what I can do. That being said, I give a discount code to the first 10 people that sign up and that code is only available on my email list. So like, I don't put that on social media. It's not even on the sales page before I make it sort of public and start promoting it. I just send my email list um, hey, you guys are in the, the insiders group here. You know, I haven't posted this on social media yet. Here's the code for the first 10 people. And I did have somebody last time ask me if I was willing to extend the coupon code um, while she adjusted her schedule. And I just had to be firm and just say, no, it's, it's like there's a certain number of spots that I can do at that. And so that also helps, I think, for people that maybe can't qualify for the scholarship or don't, or don't need to. It's kind of like, um, because I find often people do an early registration discount and then they put a a deadline on it. And what I find happens is people just wait and then you have to keep emailing and keep talking about it. And it's like, they wait until like 72 hours before the deadline. And then they finally like, you know, shit or get off the pot, pardon my French. And so final, I was just like, no, you, I just want, I want those, those 10 spots to go to whoever has been waiting on the list going, okay, when is this going online? 
and who are willing to just say, yes, it's a fit, let's go. And if that's not them this time, maybe next time. So I did a certain number of, of, of codes, you know, for, which I called like early registration and just like capped it. And then I offer one scholarship and one um, work trade. What I'm trying to do with the scholarship right now is because so far um, I'm fairly enmeshed in the community of people on my list. Now I know this is going to change. So it's pretty easy for me to kind of just know who needs it if they apply, but I know that's going to change and I'm going to have to get more um, formal with it um, and have some sort of a, an essay and also some requirements. I've applied for scholarships in the past. Um, like I said, that same year when I was you know, starting to realize, oh, I need to actually learn about the business side of running this business. Um, there was a few online programs that I knew would really benefit me, but that were out of my range. And I applied for scholarships through them. I didn't get them, but I didn't have any trouble, you know, sort of jumping through the hoops to, you know, to get them. So I think probably I'll just do a simple online form. And then, you know, I think having those three options should hopefully make it accessible. If there's a full, a one, one only spot, that's a full, full ticket, a work trade. And then, you know, the first 10 people can get the discount if they're, if they're on it, then I think that's more than enough to keep it kind of fair for people that don't have the funds. Yeah, I love that. I love having those different options. And I think it's ideal when we have a lot of options that we don't focus on all of them at the same time because people get mm -hmm. overwhelmed, like we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. with too many options to just start with, okay, we're starting with the scholarship and the work trade. I think people can wrap their two options so they can wrap their brain around it. Okay. You missed the boat on that. Now we're talking about just the early discount. Okay. You missed the boat on that. Now we're talking about just the sliding scale price points. I think yeah. that that would be one of the big um, mistakes or challenges that I would advise yoga teachers who are new to this type of pricing model to watch out for is trying to talk about too many different options at the same time. For me, and, and everyone's different, like I won't be offering the teacher training on a sliding scale simply because with those other options, that's going to now make it, you know, so that I, I'm not going to be sustained, but I will with my classes. You know, the other thing to just, to, for people to know is that if you have this, um, I just want to come back to this, if you have this voice in your head that's saying, but everyone's going to choose the cheapest option, that has not been my experience, especially if you explain it, you know, and I actually, um, I did have a resource and I'll just, I'll send it to you because I can't remember the woman's name or the link or anything. So I'll just, I'll email it to you. Um, that really has this beautiful breakdown of, of why we might want to do this model as far as, um, um, being equitable and like how it works. And there's just a lot of great copy in there that you could share even that article with your people and say, you know, this is why I do this because here's what I believe, you know? And I think that once people understand that you're offering it on a sliding scale, not because you don't think it's worth it, not because you don't think it's worth the maximum amount. It's because you're acknowledging that as human beings, the playing field is not even for all of us. And so as a way to be equitable, you're giving options. And I think once people kind of understand that, they're more likely going to be truly giving what they actually can afford, which is why I also call it pay what you can. I know a lot of people use the pay what you want word. And I just, that just makes me cringe because of course I don't want to pay for anything. Like that's terrible language. You know, it's like, no, pay what I can makes me kind of have to sit with it and go, okay, well actually what can I afford? Like, let me look at my budget 
what is comfortable for me to afford, you know, as opposed to just like pay what you want. It's a very different feeling for me. Words are words of power, you know? Um, so I would just say, if you, if you preface it, if you want to start this model and you preface it in the email with why you're starting with this model with your students and why you believe it's valuable and how it can help, I think it makes a difference then. Then people just realize it's like, you're not just doing this to give them a deal. You're doing this to be, to be equitable to the people who just can't afford it for whatever reason. And that might be temporary or it might be permanent. We don't know. But yeah, I just feel for me, because I believe yoga can, I'm going to say a big platform here. I believe yoga can save the world. And so if I believe that, but the people who really need it can't actually afford it, then there's a disconnect there in my business model. Um, so that's where it started sitting with me. It's like, if I truly believe in equity and I truly believe yoga can save the world, you know, directly and indirectly, then what am I doing about that as a business owner to make sure that it, it, I'm able to reach the people who really need it and aren't able to afford it? Yeah. And back to what you were saying about this idea that people will choose the lowest amount you can always just experiment, right? Just because you do sliding scale pricing for a while doesn't mean that you have to commit to it forever. And in fact, you can even say, as you're writing out these emails about, hey, I'm gonna experiment with a sliding scale pricing model. And that might plant the seed of like, hey, if y'all don't pay more than the minimum, this might go away, this option might go yeah. away. As much as having too many options overwhelms people, we do like having options. I also think that for me, I, when I, after the experiment, I set the minimum at something that was still sustainable for me. So I looked at, okay, if my classes were half full as opposed to full and everybody paid this minimum, like I crunched the numbers. I was like, what does that bring in for me per class? And it was still decent. You know, of course, of course, we would like the larger amount. So when the class is, and then it was like, okay, if everybody paid the minimum and the class was full, what would that bring in for me? And then once I knew that, I knew that anything in addition to that was just gravy. And at that point, you know, can celebrate. So I didn't go so low that if the class wasn't at least half full at that amount, that I would be, you know, unable to survive, which is why I offered a scholarship spot for each one. So that if somebody truly can't afford that, um, they can just reach out. And, and I do that with my workshops as well. I always say there's one scholarship spot available and people can just reach out. So far, I haven't had to do a, a whole lot of a song and dance and a whole lot of backend stuff with the scholarships, but I do know that that will be coming. So I'm already preparing my, my questions and my Google form um, to get that ready. Yeah. The big thing is when there's a lot of applicants and you, if you mm. have a lot more applicants than you have spots, then you have to select them which first of all is emotionally difficult, at least for uh -huh. me it is because I, I'm every single person who reaches out to me wanting help, I want to help them. Of course. And you know, when I'm just charging a specific set amount or even I think sliding scale, people are gonna self-select. But when I'm saying I'm offering you a scholarship, then a lot of people come out of the woodwork. And that's where I found like, wow, this specific model for making this accessible is cumbersome. It, it, and it doesn't even feel like the fairest way to do it because we're counting on me to make a judgment call and I'm not uh -huh. comfortable doing that. Like I'm looking at these applications and I'm like, I'm not comfortable 
choosing. I want you to choose, <laughs> you know, like I want you to self-select. Are you able to do this at one of these price points? Yes or no. So that's, that's kind of the journey that I've taken to this. I've noticed a lot of people have put parameters on it. Like they'll, they'll pick a specific community that is not experiencing equity and they'll say there's a scholarship for, so for example, it could be BIPOC or for the LGBTQ community. So if there is like a specific community that really speaks to you, you could narrow it that way. And that is something that I have considered if it gets to the point where it's overwhelming, I might have to kind of like narrow it in a bit. So that's another way to do it. But like you said, having the sliding scale, like having an option for people. And I also think a work trade is great. Like if somebody's got good admin skills, I can definitely use them in my business. Like if you can just edit some blog posts and some, you know, things for me in exchange, that's, that's a high value to me. The thing is, I think that a lot of times we don't get started with these things because we're, we're just overwhelmed with it. And like you said, you can always change your mind right? Like you can always say, Hey, I'm going to do this experiment. We're going to see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out for you, you just tweak it and you change it like you did with going hmm, scholarship method, not so great for me on the back end. And then you just re rejig it. But I think it's better to do that than to just kind of sit with the feeling that this doesn't feel equitable and not do anything. It's better to like, just try it and see what works and, you know, change it as you go as needed. I really liked what you said, though, about crunching the numbers and making sure that it's still sustainable for you, because I do think and see a lot of yoga teachers erring on the other side of like, mm -hmm. oh, I got to make this so affordable. I got to make this so accessible, but not considering, is this accessible to me? <laughs> right? Can I pay my bills? Can I put food on my own table? can I pay for Zoom? You know, am I subsidizing this with my other job or my partner? I mean, and if you want to do that, if from your heart, you're saying, no, I have the resources to subsidize yoga. Great. Do it. But I see a lot of teachers. And I talk to a lot of yoga teachers who have this kind of internal sense of conflict where they feel this obligation to make it mm -hmm. accessible. But, not, but then this internal feeling of, unworthiness or an expectation that if people appreciated it, then somehow they would either just tip them or pay more or that more people would come and that would make it sustainable. So they, they like, they don't feel good about it, but there's not necessarily an easy answer. Right. And there isn't one, right. Most of the hard questions and conversations that we're having in the world don't have an easy, simple answer. And we have to deal with our feelings of discomfort and come out on one side or the other, at least temporarily to see how that works for us and then grow from there, hopefully. And I think like what you were saying, um, there's a big difference between saying, I'm offering this on a sliding scale because I believe in equity in the world and I want to be of service and I don't feel worth charging more. Those are like totally different animals. So you really need to sit with yourself and be honest. Like, am I doing this discount because I want to see more equity in the world? Or am I doing this out of a sense of collapsing and not feeling worthy? Um, because that, that's the answer to that would be some self-work and some therapy and, you know, maybe just leave your prices not at a sliding scale until that's no longer an issue for you so that you don't 
you're not adjusting your price based on the fact that you don't feel like what you're offering is worth anything. Yeah, that's a, that's a very dangerous, and I do see that a lot in the community. Or people will say, well, you know, there's so much free yoga out there. Why would anyone pay? They pay because of the relationship with the teacher. And the value. That's absolutely. And the thing about, I've talked about this on the podcast before, yoga is free. And yes, there's tons of free yoga out there. So I don't think any one person needs to feel responsible for putting more free yoga into the world. If it's your calling to do so, then that is great. There's nothing wrong with it. But I don't think that you should feel responsible for doing it. And so with the conversation about worth, I do think that many yoga teachers overly identify their own worth with the value of the practice. Mm -hmm. And if we step back for a minute and really look at the bigger picture, we have to recognize, no, the value of the practice actually comes from each individual person. Like you get what you bring to the practice. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are certain teachers you're going to really resonate with as a facilitator. And there's other teachers that you're going to really resonate with, but for kind of codependent, maybe not super healthy reasons. <laughs> so ultimately, if we as yoga teachers can can just remove our own egos just a little bit from the conversation. I know we can't remove it completely, but we can say, wow, the practices that I'm sharing are incredibly valuable. I'm going to share them in my own way. That's just all I can do, right? I'm going to share them in the way that works for me. I'm going to share them with my own flavor. Some people are going to really love that flavor and other people are not, but I'm not what creates the value right? It's the practices that are so valuable and the way that I've created a container for somebody to show up and, and have their own experience with their a relationship with themselves. That is yeah. what we're doing here. So it is not so much about our own worth, you know, and yes, we can, build, yeah. Yeah, we can build our experience level at, at creating that container more skillfully but again, some people are going to love the way that we do it and some people aren't. So, and I know that that's really tough because the culture we live in is this culture that really celebrates the individual, but not in a super healthy way. <laughs> like it, mm -hmm. it almost fetishizes the individual. Yes. And yoga wants us to let go of that a little bit. It's one of the first things I say to my students when they thank me and they try to, you know what I mean? When they're talking about like my class and I always go back to uh, yoga did that, not me. Like, I, yes, I create the container. I create the brave space for us to explore this and to heal. And I'm okay with whatever comes up in that brave space. So yes, I create, like you said, the container of brave space. I may do the sequence I use my words and my own stories from my own life when I think they will be relevant to, to helping you. But like, I didn't invent yoga. <laughs> I'm just a messenger, you know, and maybe my message speaks to you well and not at all to others, which is great because there's so many yoga teachers that those people, if they don't resonate with me, they should find somebody they do and vice versa. So yeah, maybe my message or my words open you up to the yoga, but it's the yoga that's doing the magic. It's not me. And the student that's doing the magic, yeah. right? It's the yeah. alchemy between the container 
the practice and the practitioner. Totally. And their willingness to be there. Yeah. And I think that we as teachers, <laughs> if we just step out of it a little bit, then we can actually do a better job of holding, creating that container. Totally. And of really honoring and celebrating the courage of the people who show up to be in relationship with self, because in our culture, that is a brave thing to do. That is not a given. And I think that's actually one of the things that I learned after my therapeutic training is that um, one of the best ways for me to hold brave space is to not feel responsible for what comes up for them. Like when I was a newer teacher, I thought like, oh, someone's crying in my class. Like I need to help them. I need to, it's like, no, I need to just hold the container and let them cry. That's my job. And maybe a therapist business card if they need one, you know, but I used to, when I was a new teacher, just think that like I was responsible for everybody's emotional state in the class. And I was like, no, if they come to the mat and they get to finally experience their emotions and they feel safe enough in your classroom, whether it's virtual or in person, um, to be able to process that, that my job is done there. Like that's what, that's my, that's my job as far as I'm concerned is to create that container and to hold the space so that they can work through things in whatever way works for them. And of course, to be there to offer support within my scope of practice, you know, so, you know, checking on people, you know, if you haven't seen them for a while, that kind of thing I will do um, because I have a community. So if I haven't seen somebody show up for their class for a few weeks, you know, I can email them and just say, Hey, you know, that's, I think in my scope of practice. And yet I still have therapist business cards always at the ready for anything that they might need support past the yoga room for. It takes a village, right? It's not just the yoga teacher. It's not just yoga. Yoga is a piece of the ecosystem that we can use to heal some of the patterns and wounds and trauma from our past and also to engage with ourselves and build a future and well, really a present, primarily a present that is alive and, and real and in alignment with our values. That to me is, is what we're doing here. And so I love that this conversation kind of took this, <laughs> took this turn and, and started out really just talking about pricing models, accessible pricing models, and, and ended up getting a little bit bigger picture on what we're actually doing. What are we trying to create? What are we trying to provide access to with these pricing models? Yeah, because for me, that's what's gonna inform the bigger picture and my values is what's going to inform my, my pricing structures and how I run my business. Awesome. Well, we're about out of time. Do you have any final words that you want to either share or emphasize uh, before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think I've pretty much said it all. And I don't know, of course, what um, the sliding scale model will be by the time people listen to this. I'm probably going to tweak it a bit. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing about your um, experience, what happens with your next group. You can let me know how that goes. And I will send you a link to the, that article that I mentioned that kind of talks about the whole pay what you can model and, and why it's valuable. Just because I think that sometimes the hard part for us as teachers is coming up with the words. And so if you can't kind of come up with the words yourself to say why this is important to you, you can just say, I'm trying this experiment and here's a link to read more. And then people can read a bit more about, about why, you know, why this model might be, might be valuable. 
Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for suggesting this conversation and thanks for showing up for it. Oh, my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that conversation about accessible pricing as much as I did and that it gives you some inspiration and ideas for ways you can structure your own pricing. I'm going to keep this outro short and sweet so that I can take my own advice and listen to my body. I'm feeling really stiff and achy today, and I have a headache from crying a bunch yesterday. I am okay, and so are all my loved ones, but being human is really hard sometimes. This winter has been tough on my brain, and yesterday I had an opportunity to realize how much sadness I've been repressing in the name of self-protection. I know some people feel crying is cathartic, but I honestly, I just feel wrung out and exhausted afterwards. So today I feel like I need to move and be outside and that's what I'm going to go do. I hope you find a way to do the same specifically listen to what your body needs and care for yourself in the best way you know how. Maybe that looks like moving your body outside, like for me, and maybe it looks a different way, but in my mind, this listening and response, this is the key skill set that makes the rest of the work we want to do in the world possible. So that's all for today. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.